This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding, and I am joined with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim. Hello, Brian. We're going to jump right into topic in just a minute, but I want to ask you if you've been helped by Practical Shepherding in any way. You can go to the donate page on practicalshepherding.com and leave a donation there, financial gift. You can help us support all the different ministries we're doing, including the Shepherd's House, which has just launched. You can check that out on the website as well. And if you're a pastor or ministry leader, pastor wife, uh, lady ministry in some form or capacity, we'd love all of you to be able to come and be a part of the Shepherd's House. So if you go there and fill out the form and request to come and stay with us, we would love to be able to see you. That's all you've got to do to be able to come and, and stay for free. So hope to see you later in the year if you'd like to schedule that. And Jim, speaking of leaders in the church, we uh, that's the topic we're going to talk about today. We had somebody on social media uh, ask us a question, a really good question, something that I, seems to be there's more traction in regard to this conversation as in recent days, and that is, how does a pastor think about raising up other pastors in the congregation? I think alluding to to be able to serve within the church, but also you could you could put in there the to raise a pastor up, to train him, raise him up, and even send him out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or a pastor or missionary, I think, are both need to be talked about in in the in the context of this. A pastor trying to care for people within his church as they sort through a call into ministry mm-hmm. is probably the main idea we want to cover today. So as we as we tackle this, and we, this is kind of a combination of a couple of of requests, topics from from uh, social media that we we got, now, we want to kind of combine this as one. Jim, a little bit of biblical foundation around this idea of our pastors even to do this. Is the local church even responsible to to raise up, or should should we just farm that out to the seminaries and the Bible <laughs> yes, colleges? Yeah, I think and all we that? should just farm yeah, it out and then just that uh, sounds take like something resumes, we, we, we no, would say on here, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Sounds just like us. I know, but. Uh, I, among other things, Second Timothy two two I think is the text that we very often think of, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witness and witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also, uh, so that there is a, a responsibility. You have Titus chapter one uh, where he is exhorted there to um, set things in order in the church in Crete and to appoint elders in every place and then gives a description of what those uh, elders have to be by way of qualification. But the assumption is, again, you're going to be involved in that. You're going to be involved in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see it certainly clearly in, in uh, Acts chapter 6 in regard to deacons. I think you have some idea of it in Acts chapter 14 with uh, Paul and Barnabas going back to the churches that they had planted and appointing elders in every place, and then I think you obviously have some idea of when Paul writes in First Timothy three and in Titus one, that you, you get an idea of what, what what the criteria was for yeah. he and, and Barnabas and in, in helping churches identify uh, who those men were, and then to, you know to encourage them uh, to take up that role and responsibility in the local church. Those are good. I would also add Acts thirteen to the mix because I think. The very beginning of Acts 13, where Saul and Barnabas are being set aside by the church in Antioch to send them out on the first missionary journey, is a helpful template. It's one of the few places we actually have evidence of a church taking that responsibility. And, and what's fascinating about that one, Brian, is that you actually you've you have a previous direct revelation of the Holy Spirit that these are the men, and you think that might be sufficient, but then the church, right. In a sense, affirms 
that revelation of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, and it's the church then that sends them out yep. in obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, not you know, not just to we've prayerfully determined this is the call of of Christ, but that that was actually a direct yeah. Uh, which we don't we don't get. That's an excellent point because when you look back a couple chapters in Acts, Acts eleven, you have a reference there where Saul and Barnabas were in the Antioch church in fellowship and doing ministry. Mm-hmm. What's alluding to for I think it's eighteen months, two years. Yeah, some, so, so, and so I think that's a, an important piece to seeing what happens in Acts thirteen. Like we don't have all kinds of tons of details, but we have the praying and the fasting of laying them aside, and then laying hands on them and praying mm-hmm. and it's kind of formal sending them out. And they were able to do that because there's evidence in Acts 11 that they actually knew them. Yeah. They were a part of that church in some yeah. for a certain amount of time. So I think that's the most helpful New Testament example of what we are to try to do now as pastors in the local church. One quick caveat as we have this conversation, the term elder and pastor get, get tossed around in different circles in different ways. We want to just acknowledge for the sake of any confusion that pastor, elder, we are considering to be the same office, the office of a pastor, the overseer that First Timothy chapter 3 is highlighting, uh, the one office of pastor and the, another office of deacon. Those are the two, de- those are the two offices of the, the New Testament. And so when we toss around the idea of pastor, elder, sometimes those terms are used differently in different lo- local church contexts right. and denominations. Well, at least we ask, for the sake of our discussion, people need to know that's, pastor, what, that's how we Pastor, elder it. might come out of either one of our mouths, but right. we're talking about that same office of the the shepherds of, of right. God's flock that, that lead the church, that exercise oversight, that preach the word, and that shepherd the souls of the people ultimately. So, so we're talking about the need, though, the question we're getting, and we get this quite often just in, in our ministry, you know, as a pastor, as a local church, how do you identify people who are called to this? Then how do you train them and almost tra- test them and, and vet them through a process mm-hmm. of whether they meet these qualifications that Titus and Timothy, you know, Paul writes to Titus and Timothy about. Right. And and then ultimately, how does a church sort through, okay, so he should serve as a pastor here. No, he should actually send him out. We'll, he'll serve as a pastor in Scotland or in Asia mm-hmm. or in this other state uh, across, uh, you know, next to us, whatever it might be. So uh, there's a there's there's two concepts really going on here that I think we're being asked to address. One is just the training, the raising up, the identifying of pastors and, and mm-hmm. I would say missionaries. And then the second thing is sorting through whether they are to be raised up to serve in your current local church because that church needs leaders as well. Or how do you know when to send them out? And since yeah. these are some of your best, and you're sending the people out, and you're starting over maybe with leaders in the church, so uh, something we both have have, have experienced in. But but how how should we uh, first address sorting through, you know, identifying and trying to look for people in the church who who might be called and might be these ones we have to invest in and train in? How do we sort through that, Brian? I think we're going to have to work through this in one one of two ways. I think. In our in our situation, in our location, so both of us pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, there's a seminary here. Right. So you very often are going to be responding to men who approach you with a sense of their calling. Now they're going yep. to tell you, they're going to come to you and they're going to tell you, I believe I believe God has called me, or God has, sometimes I don't even say I believe, they'll tell you, God has called me to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. 
And then, then you know, so then you're you're. They want you to respond to that with, of course, affirmation, and then uh, opportunity. I suppose is is what. So, but sometimes you're going to respond. Somebody's going to come, and they're going to say, you know, Pastor or Brian, Jim, I've been praying about. Uh, the more I pray, the more I, I have a burning desire. First Timothy three: If any man aspires to the work of overseership. That word aspires or, or desires is a strong word, sometimes translated as lust. No, to have a strong desire to shepherd God's people. I really believe this is something I have uh, a desire to do. So they're going to come to you. So that's the one. Sometimes you may see somebody in the congregation uh, and you realize that person, you watch them interact with others, you see the wisdom God has given to them. Maybe you find out they've had an opportunity to, to, to teach at or preach at a local nursing home or something, and you find out the guy knocked it out of the park. And then you go to them and you say to them, I've been watching you. Uh, my heart's drawn to you. I've seen the hearts of God's people drawn to you. Have you ever prayed about? Have you ever considered? Yeah, yeah. So I think those are two things. So one is more reactive. The other is more proactive. Mm -hmm. I would say in my, I've done both. Uh, probably the vast majority is reacting to people who either uh, have a some sense of calling or, or a very strong sense of calling. Uh, so that's what's uh, happened uh, with me. I, I think those are really two good distinctions, Jim, because uh, I think the because the first question we're really getting is, how does a pastor begin to sort through finding pastors and raising them up in their church? The answer is, well, you look, you know, Start with the the people. Start with the guys who feel a call to do that. You know, or sense some kind of call in that way, and start there. Uh, but then there's also that piece that you mentioned. Some of the best advice I ever got is the way you find your p pastors within your congregation is you you look for you look for the men who uh, function like a pastor. People look to them like a pastor. They act like a pastor without the title, recognition, or pay to do it, and. That has proven to be really consistently helpful for us. Anytime I was looking for future pastors in our congregation, look for mm -hmm. those who, who function like a pastor and look like one that don't have any kind of title to reflect it. That's just the heart of their ministry and how they want to mm -hmm. love people. Uh, I think another concept needs to be thrown out here. That's something called the internal and the external call. Mm -hmm. And Charles Bridges in the 16th century is the one that kind of, I think, started this. And Spurgeon and others kind of popularized this terminology and that internal calls that desire you're talking about that Tim, that Titus and Timothy talk about uh, it, it, that Paul writes to those in those letters that internal desire to want that's that first guy that comes and says I feel called to be a pastor the external call is is that, that's that group that's ex outside of you it's external that's the local church typically so when we're talking about responsibility yeah. on who's to raise people up well pastors you're to lead and looking in your congregation and trying to sort through who could God be calling potentially based on their desire or based on the way I see them ministering in the church? It's our job to actually go and begin that process with them. But it's the church that ultimately, again, Acts 11 that led to Acts 13. The church knows the individuals. They've even benefited from their ministry. That's how a church is able to affirm mm -hmm. that they should be a pastor. And right. if this is done well and done rightly, I would say it's a beautiful process because Past the pastors of the church identify this particular man as another pastor, and when they take it to the congregation, the congregation says, "Well, yeah, 
I've just kind of seen him as a pastor for years in this church. He just hasn't had the name rec- mm. recognition of the title with it. So I think that is that's a short version of how I think this process should go. But it's got to start with pastors, like you said, being proactive to look. And then to consider those who are saying they're feeling a call, that, that's not the only thing to go by, which a lot is, is a big mistake made. A lot of times, guys, I feel called to be a pastor. Like, well, brother, I'm not God. Who am I to get in your get in your way? Is like, well, right. You know, I might be the guy that needs to get in your way. Let's let's talk about. It. So we need to be the ones to help guys sort through their calling. And Joe, I say, having done this this many times through the years, uh, it's one of the great joys I ever had as a pastor is getting to see somebody come into the church, become a member of the church, get plugged into the church, and you all of a sudden see these pastoral gifts just rise up in them as they're just. Loving folks, and you know they're showing hospitality, and they're having people over their homes, and you give them a chance to teach Sunday school class for, or they get to preach on a Sunday evening, or just to watch the gifts rise up and the calling rise up, and see what God was doing, and He, and he, he does it in front of you. It is a pretty amazing thing to see. So let's begin to look at a few things. So I'm going to ask you a couple. I'm going to okay, maybe do a little back and forth here. Okay, um, let's talk about their commitment to the local church. Would would you begin the process of of mentoring or training a a, a man uh, who was who was not first of all a member? Would you do that? And secondly, would you would you do it with a, with somebody who was not a a committed member, somebody that was extremely sporadic uh, in their attendance, and yet was very certain that he wanted to to one day serve in, a, in the church. Good question. I think it is. It is the design is, and it's also ideal. But the design of God is that that a man sorts through his calling uh, at, to be a pastor in a local church under the mentorship and shepherding of another pastor or group of pastors. Okay. So yeah, I, a distant, uncommitted member. No, I like if they need to be able to first show a. a, a basic commitment to be a, a member of a church before they're going to become a pastor of a, of a church. I don't think that changes just with being get paid a salary and given a title. Okay. So I would say you have to, you have to start there. Um, and, and the, you know, there may be a pastor who is investing in a younger guy somewhere else in a college or whatever, but I, I certainly, I certainly have not gone through a process where I, where I would actually work to affirm somebody for ministry that if if they were a part of another church, I would encourage that their pastor to be doing that. I may help or be a part sure. of that, but I think the oversight, the whole nature of a pastor of a local church, the oversight over that process needs to be that person's pastor. So uh, I would always encourage. And by the way, the work I'm doing at the seminary, Jim, you know my my internship I do there, uh, I'm not the, their pastor. You know, typically I'm not their pastor. So a big part of what I do is they're going through the internship, and part of the internship is their involvement in their own local church. I highlight that in a pretty significant way. What church are you a part of? All right, here are the members of the church, and who are your pastors you answer to, and bringing them actually into the process. So even though I'm I'm teaching them at, at, in a classroom setting, I, I'm taking on some mentoring roles as for them as students. I'm not taking responsibility for them to sort through their call. I'm putting that on their own local church pastor. So I think we can supplement that, but but I do believe that it's ultimately the pastor's responsibility of that church. When you're looking at a, a guy, so let's go back to when you were in you were pastoring full time, uh, and you had a you had a man say he had 
well, let me ask you, if you were to put down uh, top to bottom things that you were m- – that have to be there in a guy. Okay. There are things have to be there. So I, I have a list. I have a little list here of things I think have to be there in a man. What are the things you put way up top that as far as like encourage you to think that we may well have, whether he's a younger guy or he's a guy in his thirties or forties that this, this, this is, I believe that we have somebody here that will either be useful in our church as an elder or somebody that I believe we could eventually maybe one day send out as a pastor or missionary is preaching. Number one is his doctrinal knowledge, his interaction with the sheep. Um, So I'll start the list. What are, what are some, I'll start the list and you can add, add add yours to it. First and foremost, a, a, a personal walk with, Jesus, just somebody okay. who walks with the Lord has to. There has to be strong evidence of that. Um, that it's real, it's personal, it's transformative. Um, I would say uh, a love for people uh, is one of the, is really high on my list. It's really high on my list. It's not high on everybody's list. I will say. Yeah, uh, I'm putting love for people even before preaching gift. Um, but I would put you know obviously you start to look for the ministry gifts that that you would want a pastor to have public you know preaching and teaching being being one of those but i would say another thing i would add to that is um uh, a humility and a teachability mm-hmm. um i think that that has grown to be really high on my list as i've trained guys at the ministry so there's some top things what 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 have i missed that you would put on the top of your list uh well i mean the top of my list those are some of the things that are certainly on the top of my list uh, the only i mean one of the things i have down that you did not necessarily mention there was uh, uh, Brian is uh, rebuking me for fidgeting over here. So well, you I can, have a pen in you my can hand. Fidget, I, I just, can fidget. I, the clicking's going to drive the everybody. Clicking's going to drive if they can hear. It. Sorry, I was clicking a pen. Go ahead, continue like on your a list. child over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so one is that they're not irritating, and they're no. I just but I, that's I have, lower on the list. I, but it's I, there. I, I have their uh, their doctrine. You know that they have yeah. to be. Uh, you know, Titus brings that out especially. They need to be sound in their doctrine. Yep, exhort uh, sound you know, doctrine. So, so yeah, they yep. need to they need to be able to exhort in it. They need to be able to rebuke Refute false those, doctrine. Yeah. They need to be able to be to stand in the faith that was once for all delivered to them. So there is mm-hmm. a so whatever that I mean. So they they are they are orthodox. Protestant, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and that's and my, my list too. Yeah. Uh, in my case, Reformed and Baptistic. You know, mm-hmm. some of those things are going to matter. I'm not. I I am. I'm not going to invest myself deeply in uh, in, in a guy who's not that. I'm, I'm just not. You know, I, I I I we have some people attend our church who are Pado Baptists by conviction. Uh, I, I'm happy to spend time with them. I'm not going to pour into them. We're not going to pour our church resources into them in the same way we in would. the same way. It, it, you know, Quick question on that before you keep going. So I get that part. Like, what? How do you discern that if there's maybe some doctrinal issues that are kind of open-ended or still moldable in a way in somebody would 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 that open the door or do you want them to you wouldn't invest until they they really have some the main doctrinal things sealed up I think they need I mean you don't want a guy heretical on uh, on on right, on right. grace on the on the trinity on the personal work of Christ on the somebody who's wrestling through the issue of inerrancy you know th- those kinds of things or you are squishy on, on justification okay. you know that th- yeah. those are the things you know there's 
they're, they're a modalist or you know whatever else. You you certainly don't want. We can that. pick so, our theological but, category. But, right, there's some but things. So, but it, yeah. So I mean that that you know, I think it's an important. It is an important, and it's part of the. Okay. In a sense, it's part of the qualifications. Okay. I, I appreciate Brian what you said about. Um, that there's an obvious love for people. I mean, when you get down to it, Brian, I mean, what makes a shepherd a shepherd? A shepherd is somebody who shepherds sheep. They spend time with sheep. And even the ability to understand, for the church to understand and respond to the qualifications. He's not an angry man. Uh, He's a a one-woman kind of a man. He's hospitable. He's not greedy for money. He's not easily provoked. He's not, you know, doesn't walk around with a chip on his shoulder. You got to know the guy, and, and and so that would indicate that he is with people that the church knows who he is. They they're familiar with him. They're not having to guess about. I don't know. I never see the guy. You know. He, well, he and and what I have witnessed, and I don't know, Brian. I was going to. I want to get your view on this. You had a good number of seminary guys attend your church, guys who aspired for ministry. Were you ever struck with? that a lot of them after service that they were drawn more toward one another like a mini shepherds meeting than shepherds out among sheep yeah i would look for that but i think the seminary guys that ended up at our church most of them most of them were not that way because they didn't fit so you can find i mean you that's a that's a fair criticism i think of a lot of seminary students that they'll just kind of gather and hover around each other and not mingle with other other people or invest in other people. But in our church, it was a little different. We weren't overrun with seminary. We had you know a steady flow. But the seminary students who came to our church came because they wanted to interact with people who weren't in the seminary. They wanted to interact with old people. They wanted to interact with with right. So yeah. so I I did deal with some of that. But I would say I was thankful that that really helped a lot. That the seminary guys that came. Uh, we didn't have to deal with that as much as I expected, actually, to be able to. Yeah. It almost it is almost like they adopted the culture of our church, which was, you know, you go and look for people you don't know and go meet them and, and greet them and, and those kind of things. Yeah. Which, by the way, in, in you talking about this love, this love for people, you know, this can be argued from the qualifications of First Timothy three. You know, you think about gentle and you think about prudent and temperate and like there's this idea of a of a you know a kind gentle. Uh, loving shepherd right. of people that's that's built into those characteristics. I think that are you know that are there. It's, it's one of the reasons why you know I've I've become pretty strong to say things like I'd you know I'd rather have humility and teachability than gifts and abilities to work with from the right. beginning is because the gifts and abilities I don't care. That's one what my experience was is. You get some really gifted guys, but if, if if they're arrogant, they don't love people. They're not teachable. Uh, I mean, they're not moldable. And I have got to a point where I just I just refuse to start investing in guys. The guys that I would refuse to invest in, even more than in if you know, I mean, doctrinal things matter to me as well. But it's the guys that showed up and just weren't moldable in any way. Right. I think you can you can have an easier time, as it were, particularly a guy who's a humble guy, helping him to become a better teacher. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Than you can trying to instill humility into a proud person. Yeah. You, you can make a guy who is left less gifted help him to become more gifted. I mean, the other, I mean, you can rebuke and you can exhort and, and, and seek to convict. But again, unless they're humble enough to receive that, it's not ultimately going to work. So okay, let's let's go here. Um, 
how do you sort through, and I think both of us can answer this, I mean, how do you sort through, you know, got a pastor, he's identified a couple people, he's he's identified a couple of men who could be be raised to be pastors, you know, a couple of women who could maybe be sent as missionaries or, or whatever it, it might be, and we sent, we, you know, we sent a single woman to the mission field, and it was a great joy to, to do that. So I think you got to sort through the calling of men and women, obviously, mm-hmm. within your own context, uh, but... You know, once you identify, you rate, you know, you train them, you raise them up, you affirm their gifts. How do you make the decision? This is really kind of the spirit of what was asked us online. I think. How do you make the decision between keeping them to serve in your local church, or how do you know how, whether you should send them out somewhere? And you know, you get to be a part of the ministry, but but then you don't have the benefit of them being in your church. Uh, so I think some of that depends on what your what your current need. And as best as you can d- discern what your foreseen need, and by that I mean within the next couple of years might be. And this is a tough this is a tough call, Brian, because on the one hand you want to be generous, you want to you want to be right. kingdom centered, right. you want to you want to give away, but there comes a time, you know, Paul says about a man, you know, you need to take care of your own family too. You know, as generous as you are, if you don't care if, if you don't take care of your own. You know, so a pastor that doesn't take care of his own flock, a pastor who doesn't uh, ensure as best he can, as best he's able uh, for a succession, uh, for future growth, for the potential need of the congregation. I think that I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's from our standpoint. I, I think there can also be um, some way to involve the congregation. Uh, what we did in, in, in more recently in our congregation, we had a man that we had interned. Uh, I wrote a letter to the congregation. It was a survey kind of a thing. Are you encouraged by so-and-so's gifts and graces? Do you believe so-and-so should be con- you know, um, uh, encouraged to pursue the work of ministry? Do you, would you like to see our church make him available to the churches uh, at large, you know, to encourage, or would you like to keep him? That yeah. kind of the, some yeah. of you know working through, and everybody, yep. virtually everybody in the church filled that out, so you're able to look at it. And and in in that particular case, folks said we want to keep him here, yep. and we didn't have. Uh, I was the only full time elder, uh, and of course, getting older and having health issues. The congregation knew time's going to come when it would be be very good for me to have, however long a period of transition, of working with somebody, you know, being involved. I've been here thirty, you know, coming on thirty-two years now, of and to help and to help in that rather than me have being done suddenly because of health or something like and the that. The church is left sort and the church, yeah. you know, now yeah. we have to find somebody. That's yeah, good. And, and so the, you know, those kinds of questions I think need to be. I think if a congregation has several elders there, um, and again, best as you can discern, you have maybe a mix of younger and older men there. You ha- you have people in place for the years to come. You might want to consider. Okay, we have a hundred members. We have four elders. We may not need five, six, seven elders. You yeah. know we, that maybe now it's time to encourage at some of or, or some of the men currently on staff to go elsewhere and a newer man to come on yeah. to the current and to take a current position yeah but that all feeds from need which is good that's good so you're like we have enough elders so that would potentially make you more generous but it's possible more generous to go ahead and send people out uh so that's good i, I would i would add to that and, and this is just from our experience we had we would raise somebody up and oftentimes we would 
we would affirm them to serve in our church for a time. Um, and so we would affirm them as a pastor, knowing they probably weren't staying long term. Mm. But um, so that's one piece that we would do. We would kind of by default, you know, raise somebody up to serve in our church, knowing they probably would go and be a senior pastor. Now, where that backfired on me, Jim, is at one point we were the strongest. We had five five of us, including myself, five pastors. Uh, I was the only full time. Everybody else was lay pastors, lay elders. And it, within within six months, uh, three of them went to go pastor churches. And all of a sudden, we went from five to two of us, and we had added another man in the midst of that. But um, yeah, that was that happened all. So you you think God's going to stagger that? And that's not always the hmm. the way it works. But but I still that was a good policy. They serve as a pastor under your ministry, and you continue to train them and prepare them to potentially you know send them out. Here's another thing that I would throw out there though on making this decision. I think it depends on the calling of that pastor. So, you know, I put a lot of stock into each individual man and whether he wanted to serve here. If he was graduating, he was ready to go. We both agreed he was ready to go be, you know, lead pastor or something. That really mattered to me. I found myself, if some, if one of these guys said to me, hey, you know, I really feel like it's time. I'm, I'm really feeling called to go out. I can't remember a time where I looked at him and go, you know, we still really need you here. Can mm. we maybe wait a year? And okay. do that, and I just, in some ways, I didn't feel like it was my place, you know, to do that. I, be case by case. I certainly would say that if I really felt that way, but, but oftentimes I kind of felt, you know, it's not my place to tell them they should be here when I don't know that for sure. Mm. Uh, and you got to go back to bring this full circle. You got to bring this back to that internal call idea, that that inward desire. If you desire the work, it's a good, it's a good noble work. And so if that desire takes you. I want to go be a lead pastor. I want to do this full time as my occupation. I want, you know, it's it was really hard for me to push back and go unless I had a reason to to not support them in that. And and what one of the wonderful things about this, this is probably a, a last word for me on this that every time we sent somebody out, even though it was hard, I mean, I sent some of my best friends out yeah. in the church, and it was really hard to do. Right, God always sent more. He, he always raised up others. And so, you know, the amount of people in our church of always 100 or less for the entire time I was there, the amount of people we sent out, I'm convinced. I mean, part of his unique situation, we're in Louisville, Kentucky, but some of those sent out weren't even tied to the seminary at all. I think, you know, I think God was very generous with us as we just were willing to send people out, even though it left huge holes of leadership in our church for a time. And he raised somebody else up, and we just had this cycle that was really encouraging. So, Jim, any final word from you on this in regard to thinking about how to how to raise pastors up? Well, one of the things Jesus taught us, of course, is that because the need is great, we need to pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up. Raise up, and right. so I think I think we we so many men are leaving ministry. So many men are are, are finding ministry discouraging, uh, and, and there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, but there are needy sheep out there. There are churches that are going to be planted, and and I think we are we have the potential. Certainly, in the, in the churches that I have been involved in for the last thirty years plus, uh, we are facing a leadership crisis, mm-hmm. and and you know, part of that is. I mean, it, it is crying out to God. I think we 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 can't underemphasize that. 
but the other thing is, I think we do need to be mindful. Uh, however young you are, you may just be 30 years old, you're listening to this, and 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 you, you only have a handful of people in the church. You, you need to be thinking about uh, your own replacement one day or, or those who can— you know, shepherd alongside you. You, mm-hmm. you, 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 you yeah. need you need it for yourself. The congregation needs it. So I would say, be be prayerful, be watchful. You know, those are those are the two things. Uh, encourage where you can encourage. The hard part, Brian. Maybe we need to have a podcast about this. When do you discourage guys? When do you? Oh yeah, have that, that hard conversation where you say, b- b- you know, Bubba, you just ain't got. You don't have the gifts. That or, could definitely be. A I don't. Podcast I don't see sure. the graces yeah. or your family life's such right now that you just. Yeah. You just need to work on that, and we'll talk to you about this later. But right now. We can't encourage this. That's a, that's a particularly when a guy has almost this. I am called, and yeah. you're telling him, "No, yeah. you're not." Yeah, that's a hard thing. No, that that's a good topic for us to tackle. I think before I ask you to pray, I just want to urge pastors to challenge you. How much have you prayed for God to send and raise up other pastors? I have this conversation often. And pastors call, contact us expecting some magic bullet formula we're going to give them. And a lot of times, the first thing I'll say is. You don't have any pastors, or you don't have anybody you can even identify to invest in pastors. How much have you prayed and asked God to send people yeah. or raise them up? And oftentimes, it's you know I've prayed, but it, it's not been a, yeah. a serious point. So, so don't underestimate. You, you got God is the one that sends them and raises them up. Make sure you're praying for that. So, will you, Jim, take a minute and pray yeah. for these brothers? Our Father, we do again ask that you would grant help and wisdom. But, Father, also uh, success and fruit as a result of these endeavors, Lord, that there would be uh, men raised up in our, in our congregations, men that would benefit the sheep you've given to us and to the sheep you will give to us, and men that can go and, and, and help uh, needy flocks elsewhere or plant churches or go into uh, new fields of, of, of labor uh, in missions, Lord, only you can do this ultimately. Help us, Father, to be wise, loving, selfless in our investing uh, for uh, the good of the flock and for your glory. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.